Hi, and welcome to this audio edition of Polygamy, What Love Is This? with host Doris Hansen. On this program, we discuss polygamy and Mormon fundamentalism from a biblical Christian perspective. We talk about the history of polygamy, its modern-day fruit, share stories from people who have escaped polygamy, and talk about current events relating to polygamy. You can learn more about the video edition of this program at whatloveisthis.tv. And now, here's Doris. Welcome to our show tonight. This is Polygamy, What Love Is This? And I am your host, Doris Hansen, and we thank you for joining us tonight for a little bit of talk about polygamy. Uh, you need to know that this is Halloween season, and we have a kind of decided to put our program and, and, and surround it around with some interesting information about early Mormonism. This show has been pre-recorded. We're not doing the show live tonight, so uh, you will not be able to call in and add to our discussion or make comments or ask questions. But if there is something you'd like to say about our topic, you can email us at tv at aboutpolygamy.com and we would be happy to answer your question by return email. But don't call into the station tonight because there will be no one here to answer your phone calls. And tonight we are going to talk about the one who started Mormon polygamy and some of his dabbling in witchcraft, sorcery, and other questionable practices. Few people are actually aware of some of the information that we're going to discuss tonight, and we're sure that there will be many people who refuse to acknowledge or even consider the facts that we'll be uh, talking about. But for those viewers who are honestly interested in the truth, we will be bringing you a lot of good information from which you can launch your own study into the origins of Mormonism. And former Bishop Earl Erskine, who is our co-host, is also here, and together we're going to present some interesting and sometimes shocking information about the occult practices of Joseph Smith, his family, and early Mormon leaders. The evidence is in, and it's not contrived. There's no question that Joseph Smith was fascinated with the occult. He participated in divination. He used a seer stone for treasure seeking. He used divining rods and talismans and other tools for ritual magic. As always, we must question the character and, and, and the integrity of anyone who claims to speak to men on behalf of God. And if he doesn't pass the biblical test, he is to be ignored. We are to reject him and disqualify him as far as spiritual matters go. And Joseph Smith authored polygamy. He authored the Word of Wisdom, a different Bible, a different gospel, ritual works of all kind. He dabbled in the occult. He practiced the very things that God condemned and warned us not to do. Joseph's connection with the occult heavily influenced the origin and development of Mormonism in its temple rituals and endowments. In fact, it was because of Joseph Smith's polygamy that there are temple rituals and secret endowment ceremonies. They were first introduced specifically to make polygamy spiritually acceptable to those who were ordinarily repelled by it and to cover up Joseph Smith's polygamous practices. First of all, God prohibits any divination of any kind. Sorcery, spiritism, familiar spirits, wizards and witchcraft, even astrology and all forms of fortune telling is prohibited by God. So, we're going to start. You have a passage in 2 Kings that you want to 
yeah. uh, to tell our viewers that gives us an idea of what God thinks of these kinds of activities. Yeah, we've got a lot of quotes, and this is, this is the first of them. In 2 Kings 21, 1 through 3, it says, We read about King Manasseh of ancient Israel. Manasseh was 12 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 55 years. He did evil in the, in the eyes of the Lord, following the detestable practices of the nations the Lord had driven out before the Israelites. He bowed down to all the starry hosts and worshipped them. So this is astrology. Bowing down to the starry hosts and worshiping them yeah, is astrology. Like it. yeah. and, and, and it's worshiping the, the beauty of the creation rather than the beauty of the creator. The creator. And mm -hmm. God does not like that. No. And then in verse 6 of this same passage, it explains some of King Manasseh's other occultic practices. And this is what verse 6 says. He sacrificed his son in the fire. He practiced sorcery and divination and consulted mediums and spiritists. He did much evil in the eyes of the Lord provoking him to anger. So obviously mediums and spirits and all this is evil in the eyes of it the sounds, Lord. Sounds like the Lord wasn't happy about it. That's, that's exactly sure. right. And we have a few other verses before we get started in some of the, in, of the historical events. Leviticus chapter 19 verse 26 says, do not practice divination or sorcery. Sorcery. Verse 31, regard not them that have familiar spirits neither seek after wizards to be defiled by them. I am the Lord your God. So wizards are those who practice witchcraft in any form, whether they're male or female. And Leviticus 20 verse 6 says, I will set my face against the person who turns to mediums and spiritists to prostitute himself by following them, and I will cut him off from his people. Joseph Smith was cut off from his people, wasn't he? Kind of cut short, right? Kind of cut short. Yeah. And Leviticus 20, verse 27, a man or a woman who is a medium or who has familiar spirits shall surely be put to death. So God's condemned these. Obviously, it's clear those who have familiar spirits. Yeah, it's, it's just not a, we should avoid those kinds of things that aren't from God. Absolutely. And, and those things are spirits. Now you have a quote here um, which was written in um, Doctrines of Salvation, uh, Joseph Fielding Smith, yeah. where the, he said the Book of Mormon was predicted in the Old Testament. Yeah, it's one we use a lot to uh, talk about the Book of Mormon coming forth, and it's found in Isaiah 29, 1 through 4 says, Woe to Ariel, to Ariel, the city where David dwelt. Add ye year to year, let them kill sacrifices. Yet I will distress Ariel, and there shall be heaviness and sorrow, and it shall be unto me as Ariel. And I will camp against thee round about, and I will lay siege against thee with a mount. And I will raise forts against thee, and thou shalt be brought down, and shall speak out of the ground, and thy speech shall be low out of the dust. And thy voice shall be as one that hath a familiar spirit out of the ground, and thy speech shall whisper out of the dust. Now that passage, <laughs> you know, Ariel, first of all, is another name for Jerusalem. It's the name that's yeah. used in the Bible for Jerusalem. It has nothing to do with nothing a book. Nothing to do with the Book of Mormon. And coming forth out of the ground, that's the, the way the Mormons have, or the LDS have talked about it, uh, coming forth from mm -hmm. the, the gold plates and so on. What's interesting is... If, first of all, it isn't, but if it was predicting the Book of Mormon, this verse would be the most damning evidence against the Book of Mormon they could find because God condemns familiar spirits. They're demonic, and, yeah. and it says here a familiar spirit. So how could the Book of Mormon be the Word of God when it's connected with familiar spirits? Coming out of the... 
dust of the earth. Yeah, yeah it says true. like one that has a familiar spirit. So, mm -hmm. and God does not approve of something that He has uh, prohibited. Both Joseph Smith Sr. and and Joseph Smith Jr were involved in occult practices known as money digging. Now, money digging today, the word today, may seem innocent enough, but in those times, money digging involved specific rituals and ceremonies for the purpose of getting buried treasure which was thought to be guarded by evil spirits. Generally, those who practiced money digging charged a fee when actually the values that they were looking for had already been stolen by someone and buried in advance, and then they located this lost treasure and walked away uh, after having charged a fee, swindling these unsuspecting victims. That's what money digging was in the days of Joseph Smith. So Joseph Smith's money digging exploits were illegal. Now, Joseph Smith had a seer stone, and he used it to find these buried treasures. He would place the rock in his hat, and then he would pull the hat up to his face to block out the light, and then he said that in this way he was able to supernaturally locate the buried treasure and that he could watch the spirits who guarded the treasure. Here's a picture here. Uh, this is of him doing the same thing, translating the golden plate, supposedly, mm -hmm. but this is the same way that he located buried treasure. He didn't translate the place at all. He, he found it through uh, the seer stone. That's, that's historical, folks. Um, you were taught all the while you were growing up that he translated the plates. Yeah, it's the way the pictures in the uh, where he was putting his finger or whatever on the gold plates and was translating it word mm -hmm. for word. I never really understood or knew that he had put his head in a hat when looking through his ear stone. It's the so. same with me. I grew up believing <laughs> the same exact thing like you did. You know, Joseph Smith Sr. and Joseph Smith Jr. practiced their money digging exploits until about 1826. And it was March 20th, 1826 that Joseph Smith was arrested and, yeah, on the charge yeah. of being a glass looker and a disorderly person. Now again, those charges at that time, uh, there was a law known as the, the uh, Vagrant Act, which was described as a disorderly person who pretended to have skill in fortune-telling, finding lost items, and palm reading, and that's why Joseph Smith was arrested. It was illegal. Court records show that Justice Neely found Joseph guilty. And we have a picture in the record of the proceedings of which we will be happy to send this to any of our viewers who ask for it. Uh, just email tv at aboutpolygamy.com and we'll send it to you in a PDF format. But this is a picture of the, all of the, the highlighted in yellow is uh, information about that court record and how Joseph Smith was found guilty as charged. So he was... <laughs> Historically, it's there. You yeah. can find that out. And I think he f eventually promised his future father-in-law that he wouldn't do that anymore. He would uh, give up his money digging. That he'd practices. get a real job. Yeah, he'd get a real <laughs> job. And I guess there was a lot of interest in Spanish treasure. I think they were still, the you know, we were still mm -hmm. talking 1826. So we were not that far into the country and. And he was highly interested in, I think, Captain Kidd, too, and buried treasure yeah, that, that yeah. he had, too. Yeah. Okay, you've got a quote from History of the Church that acknowledges that Joseph Smith was a money digger. Yeah, this is in the History of the Church, Volume 3. It says, was not Joseph Smith a money digger? Yes, but it was never a very profitable job for him, as he only got $14 a month for it. So, <laughs> so. it doesn't sound like he made a lot of money at it, but... Uh, 
I know he, it was, he, he tried it. He was, that's what his He did a lot of it. Yeah. yeah, and his father did too. Yeah. And of course, in those days, money digging was a crime and a deception. You've got to remember that. Uh, Joseph Smith seems to have stopped his money digging uh, after this conviction with Judge Neely, but he held on to his seer stones, yeah. and he, which he, of course, claimed to have translated the golden plates. Yeah. Um, you've got a quote also from LDS author Richard Van Wagner. Yeah, this is interesting because uh, I don't think very many Mormons, uh, anybody in the church knows this from the Joseph Smith's time, that this stone still retained by the, is still retained by the First Presidency of the LDS Church was the vehicle through which the golden plates were discovered and the medium through which their interpretation came. That's so so there you go. So yeah. we have a historian Richard Van Wagner saying this is how the golden plates were, <laughs> were, were translated. Well, you don't translate unless yeah. you're, but anyway, that's the word well, we that were they told, use. We were even told sometimes that Joseph Smith wouldn't even have the plates in his possession when he was translating. Yeah, so, so why did he, he need them? Use, yeah. He why had, did he even need them? Yeah, why did Moroni even have to bring them? That's true. Historians have documented a link between Joseph Smith's early occultic practices and the origins of Mormonism and the temple ceremony. By the way, many of the historians that we're going to be quoting tonight are or have been members of the LDS Church. And the first one we're going to quote here, well, it's not the first one, but uh, we're going to be quoting D. Michael Quinn. And this is what he said. By the early 1820s, the Smith family had already participated in a wide range of magic practices. Several generations of the Smith family were influenced by the magic worldview before the 1800s. Other generations of his ancestors resided in areas noted for beliefs and practices of folk magic and alchemy. In fact, Joseph Smith Jr. continued to express his belief in witches as LDS Church President. This is shocking, isn't it? So as president of the newly formed Mormon Church, he was supposed to be... It answers so many questions when you actually understand some of this uh, about about what Joseph Smith was involved in. Oh my, and believing in witches, goodness Christ. Now, now D. Michael Quinn is a highly respected Mormon historian who was himself excommunicated because he discovered yeah. and published historical facts which were not faith promoting. In other words, he got yeah. fired for telling the truth. Yeah. And you will not, you can go through any of his publications, anything that he's published, and everything is footnoted and everything is verifiable that he wrote. He did not coerce or, or uh, say things that were not true. Now, this Joseph Smith that we're talking about, who is involved in these occultic witchcraft things, is the same person who claimed that polygamy was essential for eternal life, the same Joseph Smith who coerced 14-year-old Helen Mar Kimball to become one of his plural wives and promised her and her entire family salvation if she would uh, marry him. And she later wrote in her diary that she'd been tricked. And before we go any further into Joseph Smith's occultic activities, we need to remind our viewers with another scripture about God's warning against these activities. Uh, Deuteronomy 18. Yeah, Deuteronomy 18. When you come into the land that the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not learn to follow the abominable practices of those nations. There shall not be found among you anyone who burns his son or his daughter as an offering, anyone who practices divination or tells fortunes or interprets omens, 
or a sorcerer, or a charmer, or a medium, or a wizard, or a necromancer, for whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord. And because of these abominations, the Lord your God is driving them out before you. So, again, <laughs> another warning from God. He gives a lot They're of them in the clear. Bible. Yeah, yeah they are clear. clear. All spiritism, all psychic activity, all occultic practices are condemned by, by God. In the Old Testament, we read the story of King Saul whom God uh, installed as the first king of Israel. And in First Chronicles chapter 10, verses 13 through 14, we read uh, that he was actually uh, died because he consulted a medium. Verse 13 says, So Saul died for his breach of faith. He broke faith with the Lord in that he did not keep the command of the Lord and also consulted a medium seeking guidance. He did not seek guidance from the Lord. Therefore, the Lord put him to death and turned the kingdom over to David, the son of Jesse. Now, if King Saul, whom <laughs> God put in, into that position, yeah. if he was put to death by God and removed from, from that position because he sought out a medium, is Joseph Smith an exception? No. No. And it sounds, it's just like, thou shalt have no other gods before me. Exactly. And you're putting idols and other things in front of the trust you should have in God. That's so true. You know, true faith, the faith of a true believer listens only to God. Uh, and they never through any mediation except for Jesus Christ, of course, in the Bible, never to spirits from the dead or any other spiritual experiences that seem to speak for God. In Isaiah 8:19, it explains uh, about seeking guidance from the dead instead of from God, which is what King Saul did and also which Joseph Smith did. Just share that I'll read one. That one. Isaiah 8, and it says, And when they shall say to you, Inquire of the mediums and the necromancers who chirp and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? Should they inquire of the dead on behalf of the living? Good question. Yeah. Why, 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 why go seeking? to someone dead on behalf of those who are still alive? Remember Isaiah 29, the Earl read earlier, the claim that the Book of Mormon came from the muttering out of the dust. Any connection or, or pursuit of the dead or communication with the dead is necromancy, another practice that's prohibited by God. Yet Joseph Smith said, and I quote, the greatest responsibility in this world that God has placed upon us is to seek after our dead. God just told, we just read where God said not to do that. Parley P. Pratt said, and he preached, quote, where the people may seek unto their God for the living to hear from the dead. Now, we just read in Isaiah 8:19 that says, should they inquire of the dead on behalf of the living? No. And yet these two men preached and others have preached seeking after the dead, seeking after the dead, and they do yeah. it in the temples with baptism for the now, dead. Now, I know the, the polygamists, time. I guess, don't do a lot of this temple work and baptism for the dead. There are some, there, we didn't, in the Kingston group, yeah. we didn't. I know the AUB has done some temple things, and the Harmston group has done, and Joe, uh, or uh, the FLDS got a temple, of course, but that's yeah. been defiled now when they went in. So some do and some don't. It's just kind Can of different. you imagine different. the time and effort an expense that has gone into this activity of finding the dead and doing yeah. work for the dead. The God is condemned. The God and if all of that condemned. money was taken and given to people in need, uh, look at the difference that could make in this world. Because it's not going to make any difference in the other world. God's condemned it. 
There's no way that it's something uh, that God uh, tolerates. In about 1828, Joseph Smith joined, yes, yeah. a Methodist <laughs> church. <laughs> he joined one of those abominable churches that he had said that God told him not to join. You've got a quote you know, here. This, this was so fascinating to me as I've gone through this in the last couple of years about Joseph Smith's, because uh, he had his first vision in 1820. And so here he is, 1828, joining a church or presenting himself. It says, he presented himself in a very serious and humble manner, and the minister, not suspecting evil, put his name on the class book in the absence of some of the official members. This is the Amboy Journal. And then uh, finishes here from, from UTLM we got this. When Joseph Lewis heard of this, he felt that Smith was not truly repentant of his magic involvement and felt him to be unfit for membership. I thought it was a disgrace to the church to have a practicing necromancer, a dealer in enchantments and bleeding ghosts in it. So on Sunday we went and talked to him some, some time. Told him that his occupation, habits, and moral character were at variance with the discipline, that there should have been recantation, confession, and at least a promised reformation, that he could that day publicly ask that his name be stricken from the class book or stand investigation. He chose the former and did that very day make request that his name be taken off the class book. So Is, isn't it odd that Joseph Smith that. Would, would choose to, yeah. to stay with his occultic practices? Well, I think it was indoctrinated. As you mentioned, his family was involved in, in that kind of stuff. It mm -hmm. was... Uh, it, you know, we know he was found guilty of it, and uh, he was he, he was unwilling to give it up. Right, two years earlier, he was yeah. found guilty. So two years later, he's still in the practice and, re it. and refused to give up. Yeah. Obviously, he didn't care what God had to say about it. Uh, we also have an article um, that utlm.org, UTLM. yeah. yeah, that mentioned talks about how strange this was. It talks about the first vision. How yeah. it says it is certainly strange that Joseph Smith would try to join the Methodist Church. His attempt to, to unite with the Methodists flies in the face of his claim that he had had his first vision when he was an obscure boy only between 14 and 15 years of age. In this vision, God the Father and His Son Jesus Christ supposedly appeared to him. Those who have read his story will remember that Joseph emphatically stated that the two personages warned him that he should not join any church. Joseph... Um, Joseph Smith's own statement about the matter reads as follows, I was answered that I must join none of them, for they were all wrong, and the personage who addressed me said that all their creeds were an abomination in his sight, that those professors were all corrupt. That's so, history of the church. Or in the so, Pearl and, and in Pearl of Great Price as yeah. well. So, he said God told him not to join them. He turned around and joined the Methodist Church. The Methodist Church said, you have to recant your occultic activities yeah. in order to be in our church. And he wouldn't. He decided to go back to his occultic activities instead. Yeah, everything it, I learned about Joseph Smith kind of made, made that 1820 experience less and less likely. Mm -hmm. uh, that and you know, the changes in other things in the nature mm -hmm. of God and so on. And the yeah. nature of God especially. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so we ask again those who are watching, the people who are living polygamy because Joseph Smith told you to, can you believe really uh, and embrace and, and, and trust the integrity of the man who was involved in these occultic practices while at the same time claiming that he was receiving revelation from God? 
Joseph Smith was infatuated with these forbidden practices. It was obvious in his life. And we want to quote from another historical account. And we quote, All available evidence suggests that Joseph Smith possessed a magic Masonic medallion or talisman which he worked during his lifetime and which was evidently on his person when he was martyred. Mr. Durham describes this as perhaps the strangest, the most mysterious, occult-like, esoteric, and yet Masonically oriented practice ever adopted by Joseph Smith. This was from uh, the book No Help for the Widow's Son by Reed C. Durham. Now, Durham went on to say, quote, and in some very real and quite mysterious sense, this particular table of Jupiter was the most appropriate talisman for Joseph Smith to possess. Now, this Reed C. Durham, who wrote this information at the time of his speech, was the director of the LDS Institute of Religion at the University of Utah. Okay? Person. He's not anti-Joseph Smith. He's writing this. The talisman that he talked about, this Jupiter talisman, was on Joseph Smith when he was killed. Of course, if you don't understand what that is and, and, and what it represents, you might think that it's a totally innocent object to be carrying around. But the Jupiter talisman is steeped in occultic beliefs. The possessor believed that it had all kinds of magical powers uh, when they wore it next to their body, and Joseph Smith wore this one next to his body. This is a picture of both sides of this Jupiter talisman. It was uh, uh, engraved with astrological signs and believed to possess powers to avert evil and to bring good luck. And this is what uh, Joseph Smith had on his body. Now, the Jupiter talisman is supposed to bring prosperity and power to the one who wears it. And this is plainly identified with occult magic. The fact that the Jupiter talisman was on Joseph Smith when he died proves that he remained engaged in the occult clear up until his very last breath in 1844. And we also have a quote here from... Another one from Reed Durham. It says... Uh, its former director of LDS Institute of Religion, uh, again, Reed Durham, explained that Jupiter was known to the Egyptians as Ammon, Zeus to the Greeks. Jupiter, in the presence of his priests, supposedly performed the most ancient form of marriage, marriage for time and all eternity. That marriage sounds familiar. for time and for eternity. <laughs> now, it, that's where Joseph Smith got his, his eternal marriage, because it's not in the Bible. No, it, it's not in the Bible at all. And the Jupiter talisman is an occultic symbol, and he gets it from that and yeah. says, God said. Well, between the Jupiter's talisman and, and even having a seer stone, a rock, I mean, how many of us carry or have a rock around that we use to inspire us or anything? It, or to it's just read, so to, strange. And, and the Jupiter's talisman, it has all those symbols on it, too, mm -hmm. that... Very strange. It is very strange and totally against what the Bible teaches that we need to be doing. Uh, Jupiter obviously represented Joseph Smith's own personal ambitions, and we have a quote here that talks a little bit more about that. Um, it talks about the Jupiter talisman also represents high positions, uh, having one's own way, achieving status, and acquiring the dignity of a natural ruler. 
Also in astrology, Thursday is Jupiter's day, and for 60 years, Mormon fast meetings were always on Thursdays, and so also were the lodge meetings of the Mormon Masons. And so obviously Thursday was was an interesting day. Isn't it yeah. interesting we're doing this show yeah, on Thursday? On Thursday. <laughs> uh, poetic justice, perhaps. Dr. Durham, we've already quoted him several times, also explains the magical uh, purpose of this Jupiter talisman. Quote, by invoking the names of these historic or inscribed gods, he said, it guaranteed the possessor of riches and favor and power and love and peace, honors and dignities and counsels. It also gave one the power of st stimulating anyone to offer his love to the possessor of the <laughs> talisman. Certainly, Joseph would need this kind of help in his money-digging ventures, not to mention his spiritual wifery doctrine, where he had to convince a woman to become his plural wife while still married to her lawful husband. So we see it all coming together. With the Jupiter talisman, we bring in celestial marriage, marriage for time, yeah. and that he would be able to bring these people into his bed by carrying this jet, a talisman with him. I, I guess he thought that this was going to give him some extra power and influence and uh, confidence to draw people into him. That's what he thought. It certainly must have. People were always taken by coming into Joseph Smith's presence. So, uh, but I'm wondering what uh, spirit that was. Uh, well, we're told were to saying. test the spirits, that's <laughs> for sure. And of course, Joseph Smith wasn't the only one in his family who was involved with this. His brother Hiram also possessed parchments of pentagrams, which were used to gain power over spirits. He had a Masonic pouch, which held the parchments, and he also carried a dagger with the seal of Mars on it, another astrological symbol which the Bible condemns. We, we also can find many symbols of these kinds on Mormon architecture, and we have a few pictures here we'd like to show. The one on the top left is uh, that below the seagull on the seagull monument is a pentagram. I don't know how many people have or have not noticed that before, but that is not uh, a symbol that is, yeah. is a, a Christian symbol or one that should be used. Uh, you can see on just below that picture on the east door, entrance door to the temple, is a pentagram. And then on the two uh, right-hand side, you can in the visitor center up at the top, they have these planters. And on those panels, you can see these um, these elongated, elongated star or something. Isn't that's it? the pentagram. pentagram. That's the elongated pentagram. Uh, that's on every single one of those. And everybody who goes up to Visitor Center probably has seen that, hasn't even paid any attention to it. Well, what's so interesting, too, I, I, I know of an individual who had been in white witchcraft, and eventually they, they explained that any witchcraft is, there's no black or white, right. it's all witchcraft. It's all the same. And they converted to the Mormon Church and got themselves worthy and went through the temple, and they were shocked at how much occult and black dark practices, witchcraft kind of practices, were going on in the temple. Wow. From the pr prayer circles wow. to the symbols to all the other Masonic, all-seeing eye kinds of things, mm -hmm. very occultic. It's and all occultic it, they stuff. They were shocked at, it, at uh, what's in the temple. And, and it isn't, it, and yet they don't have any Christian symbols there at all. Well, and part of that, what you were just saying, is we don't even recognize it. I was in the church all those years and went through the temple many times. 
I never recognized never it. Recognized I just it went right over my head, but it's there yeah. if you're looking for it. If you're looking for yeah. it and you know what it is. Yeah. Okay, let's go to animal sacrifices. Oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> animal sacrifices also accompanied Joseph Smith's money div digging uh, and magical rituals. Dr. D. Michael Quinn writes in his book entitled Early Mormonism and the Magic Worldview, he said, quote, a cousin of Smith's wife, Emma, reported that Smith translated the Book of Mormon by means of the same peepstone and under the same inspiration that directed his enchantments and dog sacrifices. It was all by the same spirit. Now there's a magic book entitled The Greater Key of Solomon. And on page 122 of that book we read, and I quote, in many operations it is necessary to make some sort of sacrifice unto the demons and in various ways such sacrifice sacrifices consist of the blood and even sometimes of the flesh evidence shows that Joseph Smith did make sacrifices that way in an affidavit published in 1834 William Stafford one of the neighbors of the Smith family reported the following let me read that. Another time they devised a scheme by which they might satiate their hunger and with the mutton of one of my sheep, they had seen in my flock of sheep a large fat black weather. Old Joseph and one of the boys came to me one day and said that Joseph, Joseph Jr. had discovered some very remarkable and valuable treasures which could be procured only in one way. That way was as follows that a black sheep should be taken to the ground where the treasures were concealed, that after cutting its throat, it should be led around in a circle while bleeding. This being done, the wrath of the evil spirit would be appeased, and the treasures could then be obtained, and my share of them was to be fourfold. To gratify my curiosity, I let them have a large fat sheep. They afterwards informed me that the sheep was killed pursuant to commandment, but as there was some mistake in the process, it did not have the desired effect. What a surprise. This, I believe, is the only time they ever made money digging a profitable business. Wow. <laughs> you know, it's such a... It, it, taking your eye off of Jesus and his sacrifice on the cross, and bloodletting and sheep. Uh -huh, all this stuff. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah, it's not of Jesus for sure. No. Now, C.R. Stafford, um, a, a, a relative... Um, of William Stafford also said, and I quote, Joe Smith, the prophet, told my uncle, William Stafford, he wanted a fat black sheep. He said he wanted to cut its throat and make it walk in a circle three times around and it would prevent a pot of money from leaving. So they were, de they were depending, they were looking for this treasure yeah. and <laughs> to sacrifice the sheep uh, would would keep this money because they keep would the believe the demons would take it away yeah. from them or it would disappear yeah. into the ground and this was supposed to keep them from doing it. And if the faith of any of the, I've heard this, if, if the faith of anyone present was not really strong, then Satan would have the power to move the move the treasure so they couldn't find it, which probably happened quite a bit. It did happen quite a bit. Since there was never any treasure Because he couldn't the find way. the treasure, yeah, yeah. And, unless it had been that which had been previously stolen and buried, and buried in advance. Yeah. In addition to Joseph Smith's occultic activities, he was also a necromancer. And that means contact with the dead, dealing with the dead, which is forbidden by God. Long before um, Joseph Smith decided to say that it was an angel who guarded the gold plates, 
he said it was the bloody ghost of a Spanish spirit. And the following was his first story, and I quote, Smith said he had a dream in which he was shown the location of an iron box containing gold plates. He went there, found the spot, but claimed he was knocked down three times attempting to remove the stone covering the treasure. He described his experience to two individuals who later published it in the Amboy Journal. Quoting what Smith told them, they described Smith's frustration. Why can't I get it? And then he saw a man standing over the spot, which to him appeared like a Spaniard, having a long beard coming down over his breast to about here, and Smith put his hand to the pit of his stomach, with his, the ghost's throat, cut from ear to ear, and the blood streaming down, who told him that he could not get it alone, that another person whom he, Smith, would know at first sight must come with him, and then he could get it. So Joseph Smith related this same story to his father, how the ghost told him that the valuable treasure contained information that would soon be revealed to the world. And as the story develops over the years, the bloody ghost soon became a nameless angel. Then it became an angel named Nephi. Nephi. And then finally, Nephi became Moroni. (laughs) But what does God say about angels that come bringing a false gospel? Yes, let me read that from Galatians 1, 6 through 9. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. And we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Those scriptures were so significant to me when I started realizing that I'd been following this gospel of Joseph Smith yeah. and not the gospel of Jesus Christ because this isn't in the New Testament or and yeah. this stuff isn't yeah. even in the Old Testament that you condemned. Know, I, I talked to a woman who had come out of the FLDS a few years ago and I showed her that verse yeah. because they believe now we have to remember that the polygamists believe all the Mormon doctrine all the early Mormon history is their history too and I showed her that book and that uh, passage yeah. in Galatians and she just sat there and she read it over and over and over again and she just shook her head and she said, I can't believe this is here. That's exactly what happened. I've got to show this to my sister. That's exactly what happened. And that's exactly what happened. An angel that he claimed was from heaven came and brought a different gospel. It's not the gospel of Jesus Christ, not the gospel of the Bible by any means. And how interesting Joseph Smith would use an angel Moroni to bring the gold plates. It's just... uh, it just fits right into it Joseph fits Smith's right story. right in there. Yeah. And, now, and of course, the gospel of Joseph Smith included polygamy, the United Order, very occultic rituals, which, of course, is a different gospel. And, and when you read uh, Brigham Young and Orson Pratt, they say that the, the gospel includes polygamy, celestial marriage, which was polygamy in those days. Had to live it to get to heaven. That was the gospel. Live with God. Yeah, yeah, exactly, which is not the, the gospel of the Bible. So beware, folks. We just hope that this is getting some people to, you know, Thanks I've got to check this out and check it out. We, we invite you to check all these quotes out. Joseph Fielding Smith said, and other defenders of the Mormon faith also state, 
that, and I quote, Joseph Smith is the foundation of this church, and Mormonism must stand or fall on the story of Joseph Smith. That includes Mormon fundamentalism. Mm -hmm. It stands or falls on Joseph Smith. Joseph is the founder of Mormon polygamy in the United Order and the so-called Restoration. So if all of this stands or falls on the story of Joseph Smith, how important is it to examine and to consider his yeah. life and all of these things he was doing? And not to ignore the fact, that especially if it's just so clear. It's not uh, yeah. like the church says sometimes, or, or, or even the early church, is that this uh, it's just there. It's there for us to read. And, you know, we, we often hear the argument, well, we believe in Jesus. You know what? But the Gospels, we read that yeah. the demons believe in Jesus. In fact, when they saw him, they recognized him and fell at his feet. Yeah. They confessed Jesus. So believing in Christ is not enough. There's, not enough. there's more to being God's true church than just having Jesus' name in it and ending your prayers with, in Jesus' name, amen. The doctrines of Joseph Smith and the early Mormon polygamists teach that faith in Jesus and his death on the cross is not enough for salvation, for payments of sins. It's not enough for eternal life. Brigham Young said that exaltation in the highest kingdom are only for those who pass the final affirmation of Joseph Smith. God's grace is not even part of their equation. And I want to quote what Brigham Young said in Journal of Discourses, Volume 7, no man or woman in this dispensation will ever enter into the celestial kingdom of God without the consent of Joseph Smith. Every man and woman must have the certification of Joseph Smith Jr. as a passport uh, to their entrance into the mansion where God and Christ are. Wow. Woo, I think they're just pushing a little pushy there, yeah. trying to get Jesus out of the way. You have another one that you want to Yeah, call. from Gospel Truth, it says, There is no salvation without accepting Joseph Smith. If we get our salvation, we shall have to pass by him, Joseph Smith. We cannot get around him. So Joseph Smith's taking the place of Jesus there. How can that be? I don't know. How can that be? You know, know. Jesus said in John 5, 22, the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to... doesn't say Joseph Smith there, does it? No. It says, That's has right. given all judgment to the Son, Jesus Christ. Sorry, folks, but Joseph Smith has nothing to do with judgment. God's true church will follow God's Word, and they will not dabble in magic, and they won't get involved with familiar spirits, and they would never dare claim that the Bible was derived from out of the dust where familiar spirits whisper and mutter. None of the Old Testament prophets dabbled in magic or occultic practices. Documents, uh, documentation of the occultic origins of much of early implementation, implementation of Mormonism include a quote from John Whitmer, some had visions, they would act like an Indian in the act of scalping, they would slide or scoot on the floor with the rapidity of a serpent. Now, we're getting into some weird things that, that happened in some of the yeah. early dedications and, yeah. and um, uh, th th some and of the, you've was, got a quote this here. This is from the Times and Seasons. It's Joseph Smith himself wrote this. Soon after the gospel was established in Kirtland, many false spirits were introduced. Many strange visions were seen. Men ran out of doors under the influence. Some got upon the stumps of trees and shouted. 
Some had the gift of tongues falsely. They would speak in a muttering, there's that word again, yeah. unnatural voice, and their bodies were distort, be distorted. Now, these kinds of things don't happen to God's true people. I don't remember they Paul don't. talking about that. <laughs> in fact, yeah, it, it, did, it just didn't happen. No. When, when the true gospel is preached, it's the Holy Spirit that reigns, yeah. not demonic spirits that yeah. reign. And, and we have to caution you. In 1 John uh, chapter 4, verse, verse 1, it says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. And then 1 John 4, 4 says, For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. You know, God lives in his true believers by the Holy Spirit. An evil spirit and the Holy Spirit cannot have control of someone at the same time. And Jesus said when he gives the Holy Spirit, it is forever the Holy Spirit doesn't leave and then a demon come in and then he leaves and then the Holy Spirit comes back. That's not the way it works. Yeah, that, that's in John 14, 16, 17. Jesus says, And I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him. I'm sorry. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. So the, he said he'll be with him, with us forever. The Holy Spirit will never, ever leave the true no. Christian. Uh, if he did, then Jesus would have been a liar. So if the evil spirits were controlling these early Mormons, as Joseph Smith and Whitmer and Hiram and others testified, they weren't God's people. Now, the word abrac, I'm not sure if I'm saying that correctly, yeah. abrac or you abrac. the long word is. <laughs> it comes from the word abracadabra, that might yeah. help. It's a familiar word which is identified with magical uh, formulas and incantations. When it's written in a triangular form on a parchment, which was supposed to mimic the Trinity and then hung around the person's neck, it was used as a charm to heal certain physical ailments. Now, Joseph Smith's mother admitted that the family practiced this magic incantation of abracadabra. She said, and I quote, Lucy, Joseph Smith's mother, <clears throat> provided an even more revealing glimpse into the Smith family involvement in magical abracadabra and other aspects of folk magic. Let not the reader suppose that we stopped our labor and went at trying to win the faculty of abrac or abrac, drawing magic circles or soothsaying to the neglect of all kinds of business. As a young man, Joseph Smith not only labored on his family farm, but he also worked in blessing crops, finding lost articles, predicting future events or prophesying, and using divine rods and seer stones. So we have Lucy, uh, his mother, with the uh, admitting that he actually was doing the abracadabra. Yeah, it, it sounds like the family was just really involved in all kinds of strange kind of... The whole family yeah, was. mother now, especially. You have some quotes that you want to talk about. This divining rod, it had a different name, right? Well, it, it, it does kind of in, in the, the old book of commandments that was written back in 1833. And let me... Uh, I, Let's see what we've got here on the screen. In the Book of Commandments, this is chapter or section 7, verse 3. This is actually in the original Book of Commandments. The Lord speaking to Oliver Cowdery, of course, through Joseph Smith. And he says, 
kind of pay attention to these words here. Oh, remember these words and keep my commandments. Remember this is your gift. Now this is not all, for you have another gift, which is the gift of working with the rod. And that's a divining rod. Mm -hmm. uh, that's the divining rod. Behold, it has told you things. Behold, there is no other power save God that can cause this rod of nature to work in your hands. For it is the work of God, and therefore whatsoever you shall ask me to tell you by that means, that will I grant you, that you shall know. Well, of course, that doesn't sit well with current Mormonism, or even probably early Mormonism after a time, because in Joseph Smith changed it when they came to the Doctrine and Covenants in 1835. Uh, section 8 now reads this way, Oh, remember these words and keep my commandments. And this again is to Oliver Cowd. Remember, this is your gift. Now this is not all thy gift, for you have another gift, which is the gift of Aaron. Of so course, they changed that. Yeah. Behold, it has told you many things. Behold, there is no other power save the power of God that can cause this gift of Aaron to be with you. Interestingly enough, as you notice that graphic, it's backdated, uh, Section 8 is backdated to April 1829, and the Aaronic priesthood wasn't received by the brethren from John the Baptist until May 15th of 1829. Hmm. So we know this was backdated, uh, or at least changed after the fact, the dates. because Joseph Smith had written Rod of Nature and then eventually changed it to uh, the gift of Aaron. The gift of Aaron. Okay. Very significant. It certainly is. <laughs> It certainly is. Well, let's go down to some more evidence, um, uh, damning evidence against Joseph Smith's magic. According to Mormon historian Richard L. Bushman, Joseph Smith was also known as the village magician. We're going down to, to quote number 28 oh, okay. on this one. Okay. Um, we're getting close, closer to the end, and okay. I wanted to bring yeah, in this part. Yeah. Uh, anyway, this is what uh, he said about Joseph Smith being the village magician. Quote, there had always been evidence of it, money digging in the Smith family, in the hostile affidavits from the Smith's neighbors, evidence which Mormons dismissed as hopelessly biased. But when I got into the sources, I found evidence from friendly contemporaries as well. Martin Harris, Joseph Knight, Oliver Cowdery, and Lucy Max Smith. All of these witnesses persuaded me treasure-seeking and vernacular magic were part of the Smith family tradition and that the hostile witnesses, including the 1826 trial record, had to be taken seriously. BYU historian Marvin S. Hill has likewise observed, now most historians, Mormon or not, who work with the sources accept as fact Joseph Smith's career as village magician. So both friends and enemies, yeah. friendly or hostile, testified that Joseph Smith worked in the spiritism activities. And it certainly should bring into question everything that he ever said, thus saith the Lord. It should. Yeah. It definitely should. We're to test the spirits. Yeah. And he did not, he did not uh, measure up to any a test of integrity. Uh, the Bible prohibits magic. Now this isn't the magician that does kids shows that brings rabbits out of hats and flowers out of, uh, of, of nothing. <laughs> right. This is not what we're talking about. Uh, the Bible prohibits magic. In fact, in the Bible, the word sorcery and magic and magical arts are from the same Greek words. Now if you go get yourself a concordance of the Bible, 
or a lexicon. It, uh, it attaches a number to every word in the Bible, and then you can go to that number and find the definition of that word. And the word for magical arts and magic and sorcery are words number 5331, 5332, and 5333, which means deceptions, seductions, one who prepares and uses magical remedies, a user of drugs devoted to magical arts. That's from the New English Greek Concordance and Lexicon. Revelation chapter 21, verse 8. Keep that in mind. This is what it says, quote, But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for the murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers. Sorcerers there is word number 5332 idolaters and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. The word sorcerers is the word used for magical arts. It's the Greek word pharmakios. I think I pronounced it close. From which we get our word for pharmacy, the word that they use then for drug use as it's connected with magic. God obviously neither approves of magic or drugs which alter our minds. Now, we're getting pretty close here to, uh, to, to closing. I want to give a bibliography of our resources that we yeah. use tonight. We're going to put them up on the screen. You can do your own study. You can find out of what we're saying is true. Um, and if you don't get all of this bibliography, please email us, tv at aboutpolygamy.com, and we'll send them to you by return email. But we have some some very substantial resources here yeah. uh, and some of these people are and have been good um, Mormon church members and we always suggest that you check these things out. There's more evidence than we could have used tonight uh, that we haven't of course had the time to do and we won't do this and we're not doing this to be sensationalists. Our purpose is to salt your appetite for truth so that you will launch into your own investigation to discover these things for yourselves. You know, polygamy is such a hurtful and such an abusive lifestyle. We need to shed every ray of light on this practice that we can so that everyone will know that God did not command polygamy through Joseph Smith or through anyone. And so we need to close the show right now. Uh, and I thank you for coming. <laughs> well, my pleasure. This we didn't get I to hope it all. people will go to the references and and try to prove us prove these quotes try, wrong. Try to prove them wrong. Yeah, or they're, prove them whichever way. There, yeah. You know, some people tend to wonder who will or who will not make it into heaven, and often we wonder about it based on our own standards on how good or not so good that the other person might be. And although we can't judge which person will or will not be in heaven, there is one thing we do know that believers will be in heaven and unbelievers will not be there. And we know that because God said so. We need to determine how the Bible defines believers and unbelievers, not to judge each other, but to judge ourselves. Luke 8, 12, Jesus tells us that those that believe will be saved. John 1, 12 tells us that only those who believe on his name have the right to be called the sons of God. John 6, 29, the disciples asked Jesus what the works of God for them were. And Jesus said, this is the work of God that ye believe on his name. The Bible defines what a believer is. Genesis 15, 6, Abraham's righteousness was accounted uh, to him because he believed God. He was a believer. Those who don't believe God are unbelievers. Those whose 
those who do believe him are believers. Now, believing there is a God isn't enough. Even the demons believe there's a God. Our challenge is to believe what God said, uh, everything that he's done and everything the Bible teaches about him. Now, we cannot reinvent him and then call ourselves believers. Jesus said, if you don't believe I am who I claim to be, where I go, you cannot come. Jesus cannot be reinvented to be Lucifer's brother and still be the biblical Jesus. Only believers in the truth go to heaven. We need to be cautious because we don't get to pick and choose what we believe. To be a believer, we must truly believe everything about God, sin, the Savior, and eternal life as taught in the Bible, or we're not true believers. Not only must we believe it, but we must receive it. And that is called being born again, where we truly take what we believe and bring it into our lives. And we say this and know this is from God because it changes our heart. That's called receiving it. So we repent. That means we turn from what we've been believing and believe God's way. We believe, we receive, and we are promised a place in heaven with Jesus Christ forever. And there's only one heaven. We cannot reinvent the gospel and expect God to accept us as believers. It's got to be the biblical gospel. It's got to be the biblical Jesus, the biblical God, and the biblical salvation as is. We can't change it. Good night. This has been the audio podcast edition of Polygamy, What Love Is This? This program is a production of A Shield and Refuge Ministry and Main Street Church of Brigham City. You can view current and past video episodes as well as download audio episodes of this program at whatloveisthis.tv. If you or someone you know is in need of assistance in leaving a polygamous situation, please contact us. We are here to help. All of our contact information can be found at shieldandrefuge.org or call us at 877-425-9993. If you have any questions or comments about this or any of our other programs, we'd love to hear from you. Write us at email at whatloveisthis.tv. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us again.